All right, folks, welcome to Locked on Seminoles Live part two on Christmas Eve. We're going to try this again. Uh, we didn't have sound last time. I went out, reset everything. Um, I checked it and we should have sound now. Uh, ideally, I'm going to try to do my little like check it through Twitter and see if it's playing sound for you guys. All right, part two. Okay. Christmas Eve, we're going to try. All right, this. I can hear myself, which means you guys should be able to hear me, folks. Kind of all the things I said that you couldn't hear. Merry Christmas to everyone. It's Christmas Eve. If you're watching this later on Christmas Day or even after, I hope you had a wonderful holiday with your family. Uh, I want to give a couple quick shout outs. Merry Christmas to my best friend, Cameron. He's over in Europe right now on his honeymoon. It was an honor to be the best man at your wedding. I'm sorry I didn't gush about you enough during the speech, but it's kind of her day, not yours, bud. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll do that over some drinks when you get back. Also, a big shout out and a Merry Christmas to... Host of the Knollcast, Ingram Smith, who really over the past year and a half has been kind of a mentor to me in this business and a good friend outside of the business. Uh, I appreciate you letting me call you up and just blabber thoughts about Florida State. Um, he got engaged last night or early this morning. Not sure on the timing, but either way, uh, Mazel Tov, man, congratulations. And I wish you guys the best. And what a great way to start the Christmas season. This is my first Christmas uh, hosting my family up here at my house. Never done this before. Uh, so I was in Publix. It's a war zone in there. Be careful. Uh, enter at your own risk today. But I host this every single day. I'm a Florida State fan. I love talking about Florida State. And I love every single one of y'all that listen to this program. Without y'all listening, I don't get to do this. And hopefully me doing this, bringing you guys insight, bringing you guys my perspective on things, helps you feel a little smarter about Florida State football each and every day, five days a week. So let's get into it, guys. We are going to talk about Johnny Wilson, a six foot seven. That's right, six foot seven. Not a basketball player. He is a wide receiver from Arizona State University who just yesterday committed to coming to Florida State University in the transfer portal. I believe he'll be here in January. Y'all know I lamented not having wide receivers in the last class from high school. Well, now we got two in the transfer portal. So we'll talk about that. And then because it's Christmas and I'm in the spirit of giving and I want y'all to feel happy and lively and excited going into the holiday. We got to talk about UCF beating Florida last night. That was great. So I got a good live show for you guys. Merry Christmas. All of that good stuff. All right, KH, I appreciate it, man. Without your comment, by the way, shout out KH. Don't know who you are, but um, yeah, I, I, I would not have uh, noticed that. We would a 25 minute show of me just um, me just moving my mouth. So let's get into it, folks. Let's do this thing. Locked on Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so let's do it, guys. Let's talk about the wide receiver transfer, Johnny Wilson. And by the way, if you guys want to, um, you notice I'm still moving. This is a test paint color. I kind of tried to get the whole look of it around the frame. If y'all have any opinions on that and you're on YouTube, comment down below. Um, and yeah, you know, all that good stuff. So Johnny Wilson, he is the class of 2020. So that means he left high school uh, two collegiate seasons ago. One of those was a COVID year. So I saw someone saying he'd enter as a red shirt sophomore. Um, 
I, I, when I do my math, I think that would be for next year. And he'd have, they said he'd have three years of eligibility, but next year. So next year should be his third year in college. And under COVID, if he was redshirted, um, he should get, so like 2020 was a redshirt year, but that didn't count. So then this year he should have been a redshirt freshman. So next year should be redshirt sophomore, redshirt junior. Red, I just talked myself into it. All right. He's got three years of eligibility. Well done, Max. Good preparation. So we whiffed on the on the high school class, but Johnny Wilson is good at. He's a four star top 150 composite player. If you look at 247, I believe he was number like 110 as a total player there. Um, one of the top 25 receivers in the country. If you look at 247's rankings alone without aggregating from rivals and um, uh, Max Preps might be the other one they pull from. He was player 201. So either way, you're getting a top 200 player at a position of need after you just added Micah Parsons, who's an experienced top 200 player at a position of need. I think Johnny Wilson and Micah Parsons are very different. Uh, Micah is kind of that short, thick, I think he's like 6'1", maybe 6'2", on a good day, 205 pounds. Johnny Wilson is six foot seven. He is a true big man, a true big body. He's also 230. He's not built like a basketball player. And yeah, that's just, that is an exciting ad because I think when I look at our receiving core and I go down our receiving ratings from last year, you know, our, we, we look at uh, guys like Ja'Kai Douglas was our number one receiver for yards per reception. He was kind of our quick, speedy, deep threat. I think that, um, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I think Micah Pittman sort of adds another person with that same dimension, a little again, thicker, but can be kind of that deep downfield, sneak on a wheel route, scheme him open, but will primarily be a slot guy. Like we saw this with Andrew Parchment, where you really just don't want a guy who's not, not that six foot four, six foot five, being your big outside threat in today's game. I mean, look back at the interception against uh, Florida. I will give parchment credit for how he fought on that ball and he ripped it out of there eventually, but it was still called an interception. He just got out muscled and that's, that's going to happen to smaller receivers, cornerbacks. Now safeties now are bigger. You know, it's not like back in the aughts where the cornerbacks were the five foot eight guys. Now cornerbacks are six foot, six foot one. Some safeties are six, three, six, four. So you need a guy on that outside that can out muscle those guys and six foot seven, 230 pounds can do that. So last year at Oregon, he took 206 snaps. Okay. Not a ton. Um, to, to put it in perspective, I think as a, as a team, they ran like 800 ish snaps. So he, he played about a quarter of their snaps, 114 as a receiver. Now stick around because I'm going to give you two numbers and then I'm going to give you a third number that is very, very exciting about this kid that I didn't know until I went and looked him up. So Offensively, his rating from Pro Football Focus, which you all know that's what I like to use for individual players. It's not perfect. Numbers are numbers, but it gives you an idea. He was a 63.7 as, as a guy on offense. So when I look at our uh, wide receivers, that would put him 63.7 uh, right between Ja'Kai Douglas and Ontario Wilson. Okay, so kind of gauge that in your head. Now, as a receiver... He was a 57.9 rated by pro football focus. Johnny Wilson was. That's not that great. It's not as bad as it would sound if like you got a 57 on your math test. 57.9 is okay. That would put him right ahead of Malik McLean at 57.4. 
And that would put him right under Jordan Wilson at 58.9. And Ontario Wilson, and we have a lot of Wilsons, uh, was a 61.3. But guys, his receiving is not what I got excited about this morning. When I looked him up, I thought, hey, okay, he's talented. All right, you know, 63 on offense, 58 on receiving, great. But then I looked at his at his blocking, his run blocking. Now, if you watch Florida State, which if you're listening to me, I'm sure you watch Florida State. What is something that we ask our receivers to do more than probably 80% of programs out there and that we need them to do to be successful with Mike Norvell's offense? That's right. Good job, class. We need them to pass, to run block. All right. We need them to be able to move guys out of the way on the screen. We need them to be able to move guys downfield when we're doing our read option stuff and we're trying to get outside, we're doing our shovel passes. We need receivers that can move corners and sometimes come in on a linebacker and get them out of the way for us to break those big plays in space. Guys, Johnny Wilson, again, committed to Florida State, joining our lineup, six foot seven, 230, is the third highest, third highest rated run blocker in all of the NCAA's wide receivers by Pro Football Focus. So again, according to this reputable site, Pro Football Focus, he is the third, was last year, the third best run blocking receiver in the country. Guys, that is super exciting. Uh, Again, I'm excited to have another threat on the outside that can catch passes, but having a guy out there that can block and open up things for our speedier guys in the screen game, that is tantalizing, if you will. And so you look at these two receivers that we've now brought into this room, a room that we were very pessimistic about a mere week ago. We brought in a pretty, you know, decent guy with Micah Pittman. Although again, I worry about Pittman's route running ability. Reason being, I looked at, go watch my Monday episode where I throw all the numbers out. Uh, His targets relative to how many times he was on the field as a receiver were pretty low. Uh, Some people commented on Oregon, running more often. Uh, I responded to that in an earlier video. They did run a little more often than average for sure, but uh, they still threw the ball quite a bit and they still had a uh, pretty, uh, Anthony Brown was not good, but he wasn't totally awful. So I, I worry about Micah Pittman's ratio there, but he's an amazing punt returner. I mean, one of the best in the country at returning punts. We were terrible at that. So we're getting that secondary benefit from him. Now I look at Johnny Wilson, probably a pretty good receiver a four-star top 200 kid when he was coming out of high school two years ago, you know, is about a Malik McLean as far as scoring, you know, uh, ratings last year. But then you look, okay, he's an amazing run blocker. So that's an amazing secondary benefit. So I think that's kind of a, kind of a kudos to this staff for being able to go out there and um, identify some, some guys that, you know, are good at their primary use, but are also good at, at something secondary. And one other thing I wanted to add before we roll over to uh, talking about the, the, the joy that was last night uh, is looking at his quarterback. So QB Jaden Daniels for Arizona state. Yes, I drink Mountain Dew. No, I'm not 12. It's just, I like it and I like what I like. Was a, had a 72 passer rating from Pro Football Focus. Jordan Travis had an 82.3. So when you look at Johnny Wilson having a lower receiving grade, you wonder, well, when he's got a better quarterback throwing to him, that's probably going to improve as well. So great pickup for the staff. Now, uh, real quick, folks, I'm going to tell you about our friends at NetSuites who, NetSuite who make this all possible. And then we'll look at Florida. Um, 
NetSuite is a way to help your business grow. They're one of the leading financial softwares uh, that can give you visibility across your entire business. And if you don't have that, if you're using spreadsheets, it's an outdated method. So NetSuite has special end of the year financing. If you go to netsuite.com slash locked, netsuite.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D, they will hook you up with special end of the year financing options for those of y'all out there that are ready for your business to grow. But let's get into what happened last night. We had talked about this in our bowl special that spanned three episodes. Um, and I had said that I thought UCF was going to come out super motivated. Uh, I thought Florida probably had more talent on the roster. But if UCF was able to get a lead, you were probably going to see Florida quit. And sure enough, that seems to be what happened. It, it wasn't. It was a bizarre game to watch. Um, they. It seemed like Florida was kind of dominant. They were able to move the ball, yada, yada, yada. And then UCF just kind of kept hanging in there, scored some points here, scored a touchdown, missed an extra point or uh, missed a two point conversion, which was a little weird to go for it that early. Um, then they kicked a field goal. Then they went into halftime. It was 10 to nine. And then UCF came out and just laid it on them. They outscored them 20 to seven in the second half. And I, I wonder because this isn't a UF show. This isn't locked on Gators. It's not locked on Knights. I wonder what this means for Florida State because it is one win, right? UCF has not ascended to greatness with one bowl win over a Florida team missing a head coach. Now, yes, it's a Florida team that beat us, but the issue with this Florida team against Missouri, against uh, probably Kentucky, although they're, they look to be pretty good, um, and now what I would guess against UCF was not talent. It was fight. It was effort. Um, Florida doesn't quit against Florida State. Florida State typically doesn't quit against Florida. That is how we lost that team. We also had the unlucky muffed punt and several other things that I really don't want to dive back into because I'm in a good mood. But the reality is UCF can now tout a win over a big four, a big three. I'm sorry. That will increase the viability of their argument for there being a big four as they head to the Big 12, they will continue to compete for recruits. However, I want to assuage some concerns because I saw one little pocket of Twitter last night that was like, oh no, is UCF going to replace us? Blah, blah, blah. I don't think so. And here's why. Gone are the days where, you know, geographic ties are everything in recruiting. In fact, we just brought on a coach at a linebacker's that had strong ties to South Florida. Look how that went with Wesley Besaint. Look how that went with Nigel E. Kelly. Uh, it, ties aren't everything. So them being in Florida is helpful. They're definitely going to be recruiting around Florida. But guys, Alabama's already recruiting in Florida. Okay? Ohio State is already recruiting in Florida. Freaking West Coast teams sometimes come to Florida, not as often, but it happens. LSU is recruiting in Florida because the state of Louisiana is a big enough. Georgia sure as heck is recruiting in Florida. So it again, it's not like we've had this stranglehold. Now it's getting broken. It's just another team joining a power five conference that happens to be situated in Florida. And I think there's going to be enough to go around. And if we can keep winning on the field, well, I think we could stay dominant. I mean, look, UCF in the in the in the Big 12 is great. They'll make more money. They'll have more support. They have a huge alumni base. They have a huge enrollment. But the reality is, who else is in the Big 12? 
where are they going to have to go for these games, right? They're going to have to go out to Texas. They're going to have to go out to Kansas. They're going to have to play people. I mean, I don't I imagine they probably won't make them go all the way to Provo and play BYU in Provo. Anyway, they're not going to make them go all the way out to Utah and play BYU, but they, you know, they may have to. It's not like they're joining the SEC, right? Or even the ACC. So I, I wouldn't worry about them usurping us, but it was a cool little moment to watch them dominate Florida and kind of wonder like what directions Florida headed in. Uh, I'd like to look at recruiting classes. I mean, we got the number 14 recruiting class in the country. Florida got, I have it on a spreadsheet. Florida got the 51st. Miami got the 49th. And that's with the momentum of, you know, Billy Napier coming in and the momentum of Mario Cristobal coming in. And we still beat both of them by what? I wish I could do math, but Excel does all my math for me. Let's see. 51 minus Florida State. We beat Florida by 37 spots and we beat Miami by 35 spots. So if anyone's going to get brought down by UCF and there's going to be a new big three. Well, I would imagine it's going to be the Miami of the world or the Miami. Why did I say they're not Ohio State? Sorry, guys. It's look, it's Christmas Eve. It's the middle of the day doing my best over here. I would imagine it's going to be Miami because here's the thing. That crystal ball money is fun. I'm really, really excited that they got it. Good for them taking money when they, you know, made a bunch of people lower their salaries, they lowered their retirement plans. Uh, and they basically told everyone, Hey, it's COVID. We really got to tighten the, uh, tighten the belt buckle here. And then they commit $90 million to a football coach. It's a great PR move by them. I mean, really well thought out there. Now the problem is, sorry team, just me up here. The problem with that is they were able to commit that much above board money to Mario Cristobal because they have a few boosters who have net worths that start with a B as in billion who have said, we'll take care of the other stuff. You know, kind of like Miami told, uh, uh, what's his name? Their coach. Hey, you just take care of holding the clipboard and we'll take care of the rest of it and win national championships. And look how that worked. They won one to that was 2000, 2001, it's 2001. And then they completely fell off the cliff. The point I'm making is that I'd be very interested to see what these billionaire boosters think about spending their hard-earned money on this program if Cristobal goes out there and wins five games next year. Or if after two years, he's won a grand total of 13, 14 games. Are they really going to want to keep throwing that kind of money behind this program? Because we've seen Miami is the first to go, oh man, like, Oh, I guess we should probably pack it in and we'll we'll have 12 people at every game. And, you know, no one cares about the program the minute they start doing poorly. So, yeah, I, I just I, I think it's uh, to copy Manny Diaz, the new D.C. at my second uh, alma mater, Penn State. I think it's a lot of fake momentum. So if I'm worried about UCF taking over anyone, it's going to be Miami and Irv Gotti. I think that's a great point. UCF isn't a threat when it comes to recruiting. Absolutely agree. I mean, Again, there's enough in Florida to go around and their alumni base while uh, while growing. I mean, they have 60,000 undergrads or something insane is very, very young. I mean, UCF was a true commuter school, you know, what, 10, 10 years ago, it started to sort of broaden 20 years ago. It was very much commuter school. So they don't have those people who have really started to establish themselves in the 
professional world, started to bring in money and are able to start kicking checks back to the university at the level that I think UCF is probably going to need to take over uh, one of the big three. Now, could they become a big four? Sure. Now, guys, I want to keep going because I enjoy talking to all of y'all on Christmas and I want to keep kind of looking at our recruiting class. I actually last night uh, I did a breakdown of where our recruiting class is and what teams are around us and kind of how we stack up on the field relative to those teams, as well as a few other things, um, just so I can kind of put into context how we should feel about the number 14 recruiting class in the country. Before I do that very quickly, bear with me, folks. I want to tell you guys, if you're watching football over the break, if you have the week off or whatever, Capital One Bowl week, I think, um, and you want to spice it up, throw some action on it. And if you do that, use betonline.ag. They have a ton of lines. It's very easy to navigate. And if you use promo code locked on, when you make your account, they'll give you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So you put in 200 bucks, you get a hundred dollars. It's basically free money to play with. And again, you can make all the games more interesting. So I want to bring this down here. Hang on, hang on. Get a little Mountain Dew break. And what I'm going to look at, I guess I could just share this with you guys, can't I? Hold on. It's probably easier if I show you guys what I'm looking at, huh? Screen two. There we go. That's just me. Cool. All right, folks. Oh, wait. Can move you guys over here. Coding notes. Ignore those. All right. So here's what I'm looking at. I went ahead and I looked at every school that's kind of around us, basically the top 15. And I decided to say, okay, how do we as a team stack up to these other teams? So the first thing I looked at were wins and losses, right? Because here's Florida State, right? Nice little uh, five and seven year. Let me give you guys something there. The good guys. Um, Nice little five and seven year. And that is not a year that's typical of a number 14 class. So I, I got to thinking like, how atypical is that? And when I look through who's all in the top 15, you look, there's one other school that had five wins. That was Texas. Now, folks, if you don't know, Texas is one of the most, if not the most well-funded program in college football. Now, their performance wouldn't suggest that because, uh, you know, they, they are awful at converting um converting dollars to wins recently. They've made a few really uh, suspect coaching hires and it just hasn't panned out for them. But either way, they've got the new head coach. They've got a ton of money behind them. They were able to bring in a top five class at five and seven. Okay. Penn State, another one, right? Seven wins. Not that much better than five and seven, but I would tell you to go watch Penn State season, look through it. Uh, they were better than seven and five. They had uh, that their quarterback who wasn't all that great, but their backup was even worse. Doesn't go down against Iowa. They probably win that game. They're an eight win team. That crazy seven overtime deal. They pull that one out. They're a nine win team. And more importantly, James Franklin has continuity. I mean, he's been there for what, six, seven years now. He's been able to kind of build that up. Now, uh, the one I think that we should look at of like, man, that could have been us is this one. The bad guys is UNC. This is probably the closest comparison that we have to us. Another ACC school, six wins. We had five. We beat them on the field and they were able to pull the number eight class. We got the number 14 class. Now I will say 
had we, had we, you know, gotten Travis Hunter, who I know we're done talking about him, 72 hour rule, put him out of your mind, he'd be ranked a little higher. And if you look, I made a little note here that their class is as high as it is. They got two five stars. They got one on the O-line, one on the D-line. Look, five stars are five stars, right? But I, I don't know. Doesn't that feel like a little bit of class inflation? Like a little, like not that it's not great, but it's like, is one O-lineman going to make a massive difference? Is one O-lineman going to be like this guy that wins you a ton of games? Like, I, I would love to know what the win delta between him being on the field and him not being on the field would really be throughout the year or even throughout his career. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just making excuses. Tell me what you think. And then, of course, look, we got, uh, we got a couple guys in front of us, Missouri and Auburn. Now, Auburn, if you're not familiar with Auburn, like culturally, with their alumni, with their students, that is a school that has a lot more resources than you do. Um, they are willing to put a lot more money into football than we are. And I don't mean their school alone. I mean, their boosters. Uh, they just are a rabid fan base with what I would call a pseudo borderline delusional lack of self-awareness of what their program is. Now, look, they managed to pull off upsetting Alabama every couple of years. Uh, they've played for, I guess, as many national championships well, depends on how you count the decade. From 2010 till now, they've they've played for one more than we have, although we have a playoff appearance and they don't. So kind of nets out there. Um, but they just, they're just better resource than you are. Tennessee, same thing. Now, I will say the, the flip of Tyree West was an absolute shock. Um, you know, we had said here on this program that we heard he came down on a business trip to look at us after he found out Georgia didn't have a spot for him and he went to Tennessee. Now, I don't shy away from this. Tennessee has uh, has some resources that we don't, and it's been publicly talked about that they have no problem dropping McDonald's bags off to kids that maybe have a little something in them. So with NIL bringing a lot of that above board, well, you know, it's pretty good, pretty good team to be able to beat by one spot in recruiting, especially after you go five and seven on the field. And I think that's a larger theme, guys. Florida State is in a position where we don't have the booster base that a lot of these schools do. We have, I believe, I don't know the number of boosters we have. I know our big goal for this year was to get to 10,000 givers to the annual fund. If you're listening to this, please give money to the boosters. $75 a year, it helps. Get signed up, become a booster. Let's build that army so we can go to war with these schools. But anyway, we have less than 10,000 annual fund givers. Virginia Tech has 25,000. Alabama, I don't know, probably has 30, 40,000. All right. Auburn, probably similar. You look at Clemson, uh, they have the IPTE, right? The I pay 10 a year club, which is a people that give $10,000 a year. I don't even know how many of those we have. We probably, it's a level of giving, but I doubt we have enough to make it a whole club. So you're going to have trouble competing with these guys. Now, if this number right here is 10, yeah, maybe you get up here. Okay. But we're just not going to be a Missouri. Well, I don't know what happened with Missouri. That's a that's a fluke. You're not going to be in Auburn where you win six six games and can still have strong recruiting classes. All right. We're not going to be Texas where we win five games and have a top five class. But the point of this whole ridiculous spreadsheet to show you all how my brain works is that the average wins by teams in the top 15 of recruiting classes was eight point six four. 
All right. So you were three and a half wins off the average towards the negative side, and you still managed to make it into the top 15. All right. There were seven ranked teams of the top 15. You weren't one of them. The average change from last year's recruiting class rank from 2021 to 2022 among this year's top 15 was a positive 6.71 change. You jumped up nine. So while having three and a half less wins than the average top 15 ranked team, not including Florida State, obviously, you were able to beat the average increase by 2.3 or what's that? 34%. Uh, and what's this? Hang on. What did I say were 3.64? So what'd you have? 42% less wins than average, and you were able to outpace year-over-year growth by 34%. Guys, that's something we should be excited about. And I agree with you, phenomenal anomaly. NIL is going to kill schools like Florida State if we don't have the money to compete. And that isn't so much the school, right? A lot of that is... Do we have the people around the school in the periphery that can be giving money to these causes that can be funding it? But I also think it'll slow down. And I have two theories for how that can happen. Three, actually. One, some kind of regulation. Now, I don't know how that looks because my understanding is the whole point of these NIL laws, the Supreme Court decision, all that was that the NCAA can't really regulate this. So I, I don't know how that looks, but it's a good talking point. Two, man, boosters and supporters are people with checkbooks. Their checkbooks may be linked to accounts that are a lot bigger than ours, but they're still paying these kids money, right? When a kid gets a million dollar deal, someone had to write the check. And if they get to the point where they don't see an ROI on that, the checks are going to dry up. Now, that could be a nominal ROI, right? Where they see, okay, I had this kid be my brand spokesperson for a million dollars and I made $2 million during his time here off of that campaign, I'm going to keep funding kids like that. I don't think you're going to see a lot of that. I'm not an expert on marketing or marketing returns, uh, but I do obviously, as y'all know, dabble in the business world. And I just, I don't think that college athletes supporting one business are going to make them worth seven figures. It just, I don't think it's going to happen. Another thing I could see happening and this is kind of just me theorizing, we'll see in a couple of years, is these large brands that sponsor a lot of schools, right? So maybe not Nike because they do the apparel, but Coca-Cola, right, is in all of these different uh, stadiums. And Pepsi is in all these stadiums. Budweiser uh, that sponsors tons of stadiums and schools. Uh, you name it, just companies that are a ton of schools telling kids, hey, you can be our brand's face at that school, right? So when we do the... Uh, Budweiser aluminum bottle at the stadium, Jordan Travis can be on it and he'll get that contract. And that would kind of even the playing field, in my opinion, because then it's just Budweiser saying, hey, you're marketable. We'll give you a contract at that school. I don't know. And should NIL be facilitating oh, investing in the facilities or NIL deal? All right. So we're moving away from recruiting. Sorry. Last thing I want to show you guys and I'll answer some of these questions. Uh, Clemson, 24th ranked, negative 19. Miami, 49th, minus 38 from last year. They were 11th last year. Florida was 12th last year, minus 39. So, you know, that's, um, yeah, that makes me happy to see those things. How do I end my screen share? There we go. All right. 
phenomenal anomaly, Texas, Texas A&M backing up the Brinks truck. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of what this, I guess, has turned into of me talking. But again, remember, it's the first year. Have y'all ever been somewhere like, you know, uh, I guess, I guess on opening day, right. And you're excited to buy some merchandise or you move into a new place and like, you're really excited to buy things. Oh, I got to put something on that wall. Oh, I got to put something on that wall. Oh, I need a couch for over there. And then like the money stops being real for a minute. Eventually that money becomes real. And I wonder like you have 85 kids on scholarship. Now you look at the, the NFL and these teams are paying people out of the team's revenue, which is generated by merchandise sales, generated by ticket sales, all those things. NIL is not the team paying kids. In fact, Texas is getting in trouble because someone basically said, oh yeah, we're just going to pay the whole, well, they're being investigated. We're going to pay every O lineman $50,000 or whatever. So it's got to be someone on the outside doing it who really is the only return they're getting on this is going to be the joy of watching their team win. And it, because like I already said, I don't think you're going to see nominal ROI of any significance on having a college football player other than maybe a Travis Hunter or a star QB. So, you know, maybe one or two or three kids on each team are going to actually be worth investing in at the levels we're talking about. So what I think that means is that will shrink NIL value and the market will regulate itself, right? You'll get to the point where you'll say, hey, it's worth it to $1,000 to have Jordan Travis come sit at Madso for three hours is worth it. But that's not life-changing money, all right? That's not promising the kid a seven-figure contract because the return just won't be there. So I think we absolutely probably should stay focused on facilities. Um, I, don't, I don't think, Irv, I don't, I don't think you can not focus on facilities. I think that kids will be attracted to money, but there's more to it than that. Because again, you can only offer, let's say five kids, even to these huge schools, right? You're, you're only going to see a small, small percentage of kids making crazy life-changing amounts of money. So every other kid of that 85 man roster is going to care about the facilities they're in. They're going to, uh, sorry, care about what they're going to do on the field. They're going to care about who their coach is and what kind of development they're going to get. All of those things are still very much going to matter. I don't think you're going to see a world where it's just, hey, we can have shitty facilities and, you know, but we're going to pay every kid a hundred grand because again, the rosters are too big. It doesn't matter what school you're at. The money may be there, but Again, eventually the ROI is not going to be there to pay every kid that much money. And we've seen to win championships, it's not just one or two kids. You need 22 starters and ideally you need a good two deep. Some third, three deeps in there at receiver line, stuff like that. So you need 50 to 60 good players to win a championship and you can't pay them all money just based off of NIL deals. At least not the kind of money where it doesn't matter what your facilities look like and it doesn't matter what the campus experience is like and it doesn't matter what the game day atmosphere is like. You just th th that amount of money is not going to be there in these deals. Again, guys, I know it's year one. We saw some crazy deals with Quinn Ewers, uh, allegedly with Travis Hunter, which I've given my thoughts on that. There is something there, maybe not an official number, but he'll he knows he'll be taken care of. You're seeing it at Texas A&M. You're seeing it at Texas. But I think the numbers are going to come down. Um, and yeah, hang on one second. Oh, good question. I'm going to drink this real quick. I will ask questions as long. I will answer questions as long as y'all want to ask them. 
Do I think we should get another QB that's just as good or better than Jordan Travis for depth and competition? Yes and no. Yes and no. And, and, and let, me, let me clarify what I mean by that. I think there is a difference mentally in preparing for a season and preparing for a competition. My primary sport was, was wrestling in high school. And even as a senior, um, it used to drive me nuts when I'd have wrestle-offs. What those are is in wrestling in your weight class, you know, when you're going up to a meet, you, the, the kids in that weight class in the practice room on the same team, you wrestle each other to see who the best is. But you get to a point in the season where the coach realizes, okay, Max is, Max is our 152 and he's the best one in the room. And it's not really good for me to every Thursday before a meet have to go against someone in a live match setup worrying like, okay, I hope I don't get caught in something weird or something doesn't happen, blah, blah, blah. So I don't love the idea of making Jordan Travis compete for his starting spot because I'd like him to be less focused on, okay, I've got to make sure I'm as sharp as possible in every practice to prove I'm the, I'm the starter. I'd rather have him take risks and try the things he's not great at so he can improve in those, right? I want him to try to thread the ball downfield in practice and not be afraid to throw a pick. I want him to try to go through his progressions in practice and learn to not lock in just on the one receiver and go to number two, go to number three and not take off with his legs. Even if maybe it gets him sacked on that rep, it's helping him build up for the next season. So in a game situation, excuse me, he may be better at it and may be able to do it at a higher speed. I I like him to practice, you know, sidearm throw there. Maybe it doesn't work in practice, but again, he's learning it and we've seen it work on the field. So I want him to have that confidence of I'm the starter. I can try these things. I can improve at what I'm not good at versus I just need to look as good in practice as I possibly can every day and just focus on what I'm already good at. That being said, I agree with your follow up. Jordan Travis gets hurt a lot. We've seen it season after season. I mean, for at least two years now, he takes a lot of shots and anyone taking that number of shots is going to get hurt. And you wonder, like on the back end, how much does that translate to mispractices, right? When he goes down on Saturday and he muscles through a game and he's able to pull out the win, he's not just back up on Sunday like, oh yeah, I feel great. No, he feels beat to shit. He's, he's missing practice on Sunday. He's walking through on Monday. He's taking mental reps on Tuesday. And yeah, that affects his performance the following Saturday. So I absolutely think we need someone for depth. And I think that you need, but I do think that you tell Jordan, hey, this is a depth piece. You're the starter. Let's focus on this spring as if you're going to start day one. That way you're focused on improving your weaknesses. And I think you go for a younger kid. Uh, I don't think you go for a boat. I mean, Bo Nix is already transferred and Spencer Rattler's already announced he's at South Carolina. I, I, I know that, but I, I don't think you go for those types of kids. I think you really, you go for not saying him cause he left, but like a Chubba Purdy type, right? Sophomore, freshman, even, or rising sophomore, rising junior, who is looking for a new home, who's willing to say, okay, if I don't win it out this year, I'm happy to be a backup and compete with AJ Duffy next year. So that's how I feel about the quarterback situation, guys. Uh, If you don't, you know, if there's nothing else, I appreciate all of you listening. I appreciate all of you tuning in live. If you're catching this live or if you're catching this not live, it doesn't matter. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube, like this individual video. It does help. We love watching the likes go up. We love the subscribers going up. Thank you for your questions. Uh, Again, if you're seeing this later, please comment on this individual video. I love responding to comments. And uh, if I say something wrong, please point it out. I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong, it it kind of expands my brain and helps me bring y'all a better product next time. If you're listening on the podcast, 
Thank you for being one of the OGs. Make sure you're following us on the app so we pop to the top of your queue every single day, Monday through Friday. Y'all have a Merry Christmas. I'll see you next week. I'm Max, and this was Locked On Seminoles.